to This Week in Nickelodeon History. I am, of course, Captain Eric, and it's a pleasure to have you here as we celebrate some Nickelodeon anniversaries that have taken place in between the times of November 27th to December 3rd. And boy, do we have some anniversaries to cover. But let me tell you how my Black Friday weekend went. It was a busy one. Not to go into too much detail, but how the actual Black Friday itself went is certainly one to remember. And I'm going to make sure it's remembered for myself by uh, retelling the story of what happened here quickly before we we dive into the anniversaries. Um, On Tuesday of last week, the Tuesday before Black Friday, I I have a bag that I sometimes bring with me to work that um, is technically a backpack, but it used to be also a, a console carrier for an Xbox 360, an original model Xbox 360, so those were pretty beefy. So it still has backpack straps on it, but it it has a different structure than your normal backpack, and it can fit a little bit more in it and has different compartments. And I kind of use it as a pseudo-gym bag and, and just normal every day. If I have to bring things with me, I'll usually bring it in this bag. It's it's convenient, just the compartments in it, the way it's it's built. I like it. So I had this bag at work that was next to an empty trash can, a very, very empty trash can. And I mean, there was not even a bag in it, a very tiny, like office trash can. And while the day was going on, my bag had gotten kicked around. I had just in the movement of all this product going around for Black Friday, especially just even in the back, just placed my bag in this empty can for the moment and went about my business. And it sat there for hours. I saw in video footage. It sat there for hours before a coworker of mine, a long-term coworker of mine, shout out Jordan, who I absolutely adore, just doing his normal business and conversating with someone, putting a trash bag in the bin, placed my backpack in a trash bag and just placed it in the back along with the other, you know, amounts of trash. The amount of cardboard that went out that night was enormous. I have a picture of it, and it it was one of the most that we have ever seen because of the amount of product that came in. Among them were also six trash bags, one of them containing my backpack that I had no clue of. That night, I was not going back to the gym. I was simply going home, and when I realized that I forgot it, knew I'll just go and get it tomorrow. It's my day off. So... Wednesday comes, I show up back to work, and of course my backpack is not there. Checked everywhere in the store and knew that it either was thrown out or stolen. And the idea of it being stolen, it's like, well, what are you going to do at that point? So let's at least go and check the dumpster. My location's dumpster, I've only seen from the outside. I never really saw what it looked like on the inside. But it's a compactor, a baler, whatever word you use. It's, it's very long. 
and it's not of a dumpster I've ever dealt with before. As the doors open up, the janitor who brought me over there, there's like two feet or three feet of space that you can access all of the trash to as that's where it's being compacted in. It's just, you're throwing trash in, the machine turns on, and this device puts out this, you know, piece of metal that pushes all of that trash further and further into this machine. They only had ran Tuesday's, you know, trash at this point. So I had jumped into the baler and only, you know, I had no, you know, gloves on, nothing on my my legs or anything. I had all my clothes. I do worry about um, my clothes getting dirty. I don't necessarily care about my body itself because I, I realize I can shower. I can get rid of that. But I do, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really into my t-shirts. I like my t-shirts. If it's my one thing, you know, some guys are really into their shoes and their sneakers. I, I'm into my t-shirts. I don't want to get those wrecked. So I only pulled out a few bags before it just was overtly disgusting. And I couldn't find a single bag of ours. But the janitor jumped in and this guy is a boss. This guy does not care about digging through garbage and brought in a rake. He pulled enough through that we located one bag of ours that didn't include the backpack. Every couple minutes, he would dig through more into this crevice, and he would look back at me like, hey, should we call it? And, and I'm like, sir, you're doing more than I could have ever asked of you. Yeah, we can call it. It's fine. And he would go back and dig more out. And this guy was just an absolute boss. And at some point, I had to truly call it off. Like, I, I don't even 100% know if it's in there, buddy. And you're you're digging through possibly nothing right now. So he gets out, we close it up, he turns the machine back on, which, as he's standing there talking about NCIS or some some cop show and, and smiling at me and having a conversation, the back of my mind is still looking at that bailer going, oh man, oh, I had a special edition switch in there. My wallet is in that bag. I actually forgot to explain what was in that bag. It, it was not just my gym stuff. It <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot more in that bag than simply my gym clothes. I need to just let you know. It was uh, a special edition Splatoon 3 Switch. It was my wallet. It, it was a lot. There, there was a lot in there. So I'm watching this machine go on going, oh man, there goes my Switch. That's probably wrecked. I, I know I could, I could salvage the items in the wallet and the clothes are possibly fine if, if the uh, bag didn't get penetrated with the trash in there, but... I'm still, you know, I'm thinking about the items in my wallet. Unfortunately, I didn't have any means to go about back in that bailer that night. Sent an email to the manager of the entire facility. He said, hey, we'll give you some time to, to get in there. Because I mean, there is only one way in. There's another way in, but it's all the way on the other side. But your stuff would be in the front. Thanksgiving happens. Turkey Day. I obviously am not going dumpster diving. But Black Friday, if there is ever a name for a day that is as appropriate as this one. On the retail front, it is a smooth sale for most of the day. But noontime comes around and I get wind that they want to start throwing in the trash of today and they want to get in there. So now's the time. I go over to an undescript hardware store, purchase myself a hazmat suit, goggles, gloves, gloves covers for my boots, 
And and some people, when I've repeated this story, have said, oh, come on, you know. I don't think they have any knowledge or idea of the 45 to 50 minutes I dug through and what I encountered and the bags. I was trying not to rip any bags. I was trying to get bags out as as closed and whole as possible so I could toss it out of the baler. Hey, there's more space. And I'm going, I'm going, I'm finding bags of our store. No bag, no bag, no bag. We're down to the wire. I have found five of them. There were six I remember in that picture. Then eventually, after all of this time, I find the sixth bag, pull it out. It has not been penetrated at all. It is good. I take the backpack out of the bag, obviously outside of the baler and with the gloves off and whatnot, and everything is good in there, including the Nintendo Switch, which was still in sleep mode, and I could just still continue where I had left off Tuesday morning. Wow. Then I I went home, bathed, just in case. I don't care that I was, you know, covered head to toe. Made sure everything got cleaned up and was just thankful for all of those who helped out that janitor who was just such a boss, who, who really at least helped show me what to do. Because if I went in there cold turkey Friday morning and, and never had seen that thing before, my head would have gone through a loop. I don't think I would have known. I mean, I would have at that point gone to the hardware store and gotten all the, the coveralls and whatnot. But uh, but yeah, thank you for going on this journey with me. I needed to make sure that that this was saved, this was documented in some way. Um, and, and this should explain the delay in the process of this episode. Usually on Wednesdays, I record... I'm ready, and and due to everything that had happened, I just wasn't in a place, and with the holiday, it just, it was a lot. I eventually was able to record and finish I'm Ready through Thanksgiving, starting it the morning of and finishing it the night of, getting that out, and then with everything on the job front, just took all weekend. So I apologize uh, not only for the delay of the release of this episode, but also for those who come here strictly just for the Nickelodeon content and and where you don't you don't simply you know care that much about the personal life of the captain here but hey you know I'm the one running this ship all right so i mean in a way my my personal life does matter to the nickelodeon content cuz it depends on the mood i'm in it could change how i'm presenting it and and trust me today today is a huge day today's anniversary is one of my favorites to talk about and there's some information to cover that may not be as as interesting as talking about celebrities and Nicktoons. And, but trust me, it's a great story, and I, I hope you uh, enjoy it as much as I do. But 45 years ago, on December 1st, 1977, Pinwheel premiered on Channel C3 of QUBE's local cable system. In Columbus, Ohio. I know that that was a mouthful. I'll break that down in a second. Um, QUBE was a cable system in Columbus, Ohio. A part of that was Channel C3. So on Channel C3 of that cable system, Pinwheel premiered on December 1st, 1977. Pinwheel is, for all intent and purposes... The first Nickelodeon show ever. This is it. This is the grandpappy of all of these shows that we cover. 
created by Nickelodeon creator herself, Vivian Horner, Pinwheel ran for five seasons of 260 episodes. The show is very similar to Sesame Street in certain regards, which shouldn't be shocking at all as creator and educator Vivian Horner spent her early career at the Children's Television Workshop, the company that was responsible for that of Sesame Street. So bringing what she was able to learn and soak up from the CTW, she brought over here to Pinwheel, where the show takes place in a large boarding house, which I, I love if that was eventually something that Craig Bartlett took over for, for Hey Arnold, that idea of a boarding house, if that was taken from Pinwheel. But the boarding house is called the Pinwheel House and is powered by a giant pinwheel on one of the peaks of, of the building. The residents and the workers of the, the premises are a mixed variety of live-action actors and puppets, just like you would see on Sesame Street, and they would learn about the world, like the colors and being creative, learning about time, maybe learning about friendship, or even the possibility of learning about food. That's all just a, a sly reference, if you know, you know. But they would learn about things like sharing and being considerate, things like that. Very, you know, normal educational pieces for preschoolers, but done in a creative way. Such a fun way that if you are familiar with Eureka's Castle, that was actually the successor to Pinwheel. Eventually, Pinwheel would end in 1984 and would be followed by Eureka's Castle in 1989. After those first two years, from 1977 of Pinwheel to 1979, eventually, Channel C3 sought to expand nationally and expand this concept of children's entertainment, children's television. They were finding success with all of these different shows they were featuring and decided to push this even further. And Dr. Vivian Horner was right behind that ship, that making of into what we now know as of Nickelodeon. There are many others to thank and, and who had many hands in to getting Nickelodeon to what it is today. I mean, even I'm not even just talking about behind the scenes, branding, the way you think about the channel, every single hand that has to work to make that happen. So many are unsung. And I hope throughout my audio adventures on this planet, I'm able to sing most of those names. Um, but during that uh, during that time, when uh, channels were were not on for 24 hours, there was a solid endpoint in the day. I don't know if the the broadcasters out there didn't want people if it was a, a working issue on their end. Certainly, it was a content issue early on. I just. When they're making shows, there just wasn't enough content to keep things running for 24 hours. Uh, the idea of reruns really wasn't as prevalent as it is today and getting, you know, the rights to old shows and whatnot. That that wasn't happening. So there was an understanding to, you know, the, the channel starting the day at, at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. or noon and then ending its broadcast at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. And certainly... When Nickelodeon first started, it wasn't on all 24 hours of the day. Nickelodeon's programming was running from 10 a.m. 
9 a.m. on weekends and would run until 8 p.m. So there would be a solid time where Nickelodeon would, would end its run. And usually when broadcasters started, you know, going to 24 hours, they founded new, you know, studios that would then take on the entertainment blocks at certain points in time. And then, you know, that's where Nick at Night, the idea of Nick at Night came into play when it was like, well, we don't have to end at 8 p.m. We can keep this this puppy going and just rerunning old shows that we've had, you know, from other networks. And boom, now we can now we have a 24 hour channel of Nickelodeon. But all of that really didn't happen until 1979. Nickelodeon as a channel didn't start until April 1st of 1979. But Nickelodeon and what the very early starts of it started here on December 1st, 1977. So with all due respect to all of those involved of that show and the unsung heroes of Nickelodeon, uh, thank you. Thank you for being a part of that show. Everything that happened on that show, even if it was bad, everything led to another, and eventually we got what we now know today as Nickelodeon. And even if the channel, that word, doesn't mean anything to you, then maybe some of the shows that have been produced because of Nickelodeon's existence mean something to you. And maybe not any of those shows but maybe some of those voice actors who got their start at Nickelodeon or writers who would eventually go on to write and work on things that you now love, you can still find a nugget of appreciation for what happened here. 41 years ago, on December 1st, 1981, Reggie Jackson's World of Sports premiered on Nickelodeon. The series ran from 1981 to 1985 and consisted of 18 episodes, all of which were hosted by New York Yankees legend MLB player who was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1993, Reggie Jackson. I bet you couldn't have guessed that one. I, I, I sincerely bet it. Come on now. You didn't know that Reggie Jackson hosted Reggie Jackson's World of Sports. Pfft. Get out of here. What are you on? Uh, eventually, this show was found. It was discovered again because it ran its 18 episodes on Nickelodeon. And this is very early Nickelodeon. 1981 to 1985 was even the last time they aired the show. And luckily, some users out there through YouTube have have uploaded their their recordings of Reggie Jackson's World of Sports because this is a lost Nickelodeon show. This has not been uploaded in full anywhere. Paramount Plus, if you're listening at all, this is the time where you call up Nickelodeon. Wait a minute. We have a Reggie Jackson TV show that is lost media? This is something we can promote. This is something that if Paramount Plus really wants to set itself differently than every other streaming service every month, or every week they should drop like a lost piece first time ever. Boom. Hitting streaming or even just hitting public view. Boom. You haven't seen this in a long time. Binya Binya. Boom. This week. Reggie Jackson's World of Sports. Next week. The lost finale for Angry Beavers. Look it. We animated it. Those episodes of Invader Zim that have been fully recorded. Oh my goodness. More Invader Zim episodes. I'm just saying. 
That's a, that's like a, a month or a year's worth of drops if you can space this out over time. I'm not sure if any full episodes of the show have been found. I think it's it's been pretty much just chunks of episodes, some clips, and then some promotion that the show does exist. So you can't come back at me and say, well, you know, you can't you can't find it. It, it does exist. Just right now, if you happen to be sitting on any VHS tapes of Reggie Jackson's World of Sports and you're too lazy to get a converter to upload those and I'm not I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. I mean if you are, it's okay. I'm just saying mail me those VHS tapes. I'll I'll upload Reggie Jackson's World of Sports to the Captain Eric YouTube channel and then I'll gladly take that cease and desist by Paramount just so I can pass the tapes on to them and go, "Hey, since you guys lost these, here's a copy. Don't lose these ones and upload them." 30 years ago, on December 1st, 1992, we had the final episode of the original Wild and Crazy Kids. The game show was presented by Omar Gooding, Don Jeffcoat, and was originally presented by Annette Chavez in 1990 and Jessica Gaines from 1991 to 1992. This show, out of all Nickelodeon game shows, was the one that I watched the least. I, I don't know. I didn't really have the desire to have kids play essentially like sports that you would do on like field day at school. I don't know. That's what I associated with it. At least the episodes I watched as a, as a kid, I haven't gone back and watched it thoroughly, but uh, I was more interested in the big sets of double dare and legends of the hidden temple. But certainly for the 75 episodes that exist of this show, which I think that, number may be connected with the 2002 revival. So, oh, 65 episodes for the first run, and then that means there was only 10 episodes for the revival. That's sad. I feel like there's still there's still something you can find with the wild and crazy kids moniker in today's day and age. Um, something that you can't find a, a difference in today's day and age and, and construed differently that would work is something that premiered 23 years ago on November 28th, 1999 little bill. <sighs> let me just, let me just take a sip of my coffee. Tim Hortons. If anyone is asking, uh, Tim Hortons K cups, I found, um, not that I'm from Canada. I just, uh, I don't know. Have a have a love for some of the Canadian delicacies. Stuff I would rather talk about than the uh, than the creator of Little Bill, and we don't necessarily have to say his name, but um, yeah, they're based on some books that were created by Varnett P. Honeywood, and the show itself was developed by Frank Caswell Hyman. So there are some names that we can at least throw some credit to. Like maybe the creative director Robert Skull, who was also a director alongside Jennifer Hoaxley, Alexa Hurick, Mark Salisbury, and Robert M. Wallace. I hope all of you have fond memories of working on this show. I, I like Little Bill as a character, who, if I remember correctly, was once a I, he was once a balloon at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. How appropriate. I feel like that happened. The show ran for two seasons 
of 52 episodes. Our next show is responsible for today's top five, and it premiered 14 years ago on November 28, 2008, The Penguins of Madagascar. Based on the characters created by Tom McGrath and Eric Darnell. Oh man, that was a Canadian burp. The show was developed by Mark McCorkle and Bob Schooley and ran for three seasons of 149 episodes. This was an absolutely genius idea of a show, at least in my opinion. Taking the setting of the zoo, having the penguins as the stars, which, you know, they, they were the breakout stars of, of the film trilogy. Well, how do they run a, you know, a, a TV show around them? Do you have them out on adventures? Is it what happens in between the movies? No. They just place them in the zoo, and to make use of that Madagascar name, King Julian, Mort, and Maurice are just, in this alternate universe, are brought from Madagascar and are now featured at the Central Park Zoo, where, as far as I know, Alex, Gloria, Marty, and Melman do not exist or just aren't at the zoo I haven't seen every episode. I know that Alex is shown in an episode where they made like a big deal about his appearance, but it certainly was not in the zoo. It wasn't like a neighbor. So as far as I know, I don't think any of those animals are there, but there's a whole like neighbor living with each other dynamic. There's a lot of comedy. I, I got to give credit to the the voice actor, Danny Jacobs, who takes on the role of King Julian. And I'm not necessarily going to say that he's better than Sasha Baron Cohen, because you got to give credit where credit's due to the you know originator of that character. But Danny Jacobs does wonderful with King Julian. He is able to bring that energy to the table. And kudos to Kevin Michael Richardson with Maurice, and of course the one and only Andy Richter reprising his role from the movies as Mort, along with Tom McGrath as the lead Penguin skipper who I believe uh, retains the voice from the movies. Kowalski, voiced by Jeff Bennett, voice acting legend. Speaking of legends, Rico, voiced by John DiMaggio, and Private, the youngest of the group, James Patrick Stewart. And I, I love the Penguins of Madagascar. The show had a level of energy that was that was right. They they went goofy with it, and it's it's a TV show about talking penguins with talking lemurs at a zoo, who cares how goofy it goes? Who cares that eventually they introduce a villainous dolphin voiced by Neil Patrick Harris, Dr. Blowhole, who ends up becoming like the lead villain of the show. It's it's a great ride. There's a lot of episodes there. I, I can't say right now to watch them all, but the quality of everything I watched was good enough to say, hey, if you uh, if you love one, I'm sure you'll love all of them. 13 years ago, on November 28, 2009, Big Time Rush premiered on Nickelodeon. Created by Scott Fellows, the boy band-centric show ran for four seasons of 74 episodes. Big Time Rush, big time is, is the right word there because even though everybody at that time was like, well, here's Nickelodeon throwing their hat in the musical, you know, boy band ring, following somewhat into what Disney was doing, making a TV show about a, a musical act and then also having that musical act be out there performing live in front of fans. And it worked. 
Big Time Rush was incredibly successful for the network. The show was a fun time. They featured an entire episode with Tom Kenny as Patchy the Pirate. Not the actor as Patchy, just as Patchy. So for me, that already gives this show two big thumbs up. I can't say I've seen every episode, but this is one that also I, I think I would I would have no problem going back into and uh, and watching. One of the composers, Guy Moon, one of my favorites out there. So uh, Big Time Rush uh, gets two big thumbs up for me, even though I've, I haven't seen everything. I can say I've seen enough to give it some love here. Twelve years ago, on November 27th, 2010, Seven Secrets finished its run on Nickelodeon, a documentary series that followed movie stars Miranda Cosgrove, the aforementioned Big Time Rush, Kiki Palmer, and Victoria Justice, all four of them all getting their their own episode each, just giving off seven secrets that they've never told the public yet. The show started earlier that year on April 24th, 2010. Three years ago, on November 29th, 2019, Top Elf premiered on Nickelodeon. Created by Mike and Tim Duffy, the show ran for two seasons of ten episodes, a competition series pitting kids against one another to see who can become the next elf for Santa Claus. What a concept. Signing up for legal slavery. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Santa, I'm sure, pays well and offers all the cookies and candy you can eat. It's like working for Willy Wonka. Hey, you, you want to work for chocolate? Fine by me. You lose. Good day, sir. And that leads us into this week's top five of the week from Captain Eric. And inspired by the Penguins of Madagascar, I decided to... Make five DreamWorks spinoffs that I think should have been on Nickelodeon. I didn't really think of these too deep, but some of these I'm actually really surprised of that even DreamWorks hasn't done in all of their adventures through Cartoon Network and Netflix and wherever they, they can produce their shows. So, DreamWorks, if I say one of these shows right now and this releases and it shows up on Netflix at a later time, I'm going to be kind of upset. You don't want to upset the captain. I'll I'll drive this boat all the way to uh to the to the the cloud wherever that that kid lives and get my money back Stewie style. I'm just gonna double check on this first one. I I had written the show, but I'm I'm thinking I know they made a special about it, but yeah, they never made a TV series. Okay, number five. I know they made Kung Fu Panda: Legends of Awesomeness, and I did just so I can be clear have some criteria that I only included DreamWorks movies that were released during the time that they had this kind of run on Nickelodeon and also shows that do not exist already, or, or hopefully. I hope I'm not wrong. Number five, ironically, The Furious Five, a show detailing the events and activities of The Furious Five before the first Kung Fu Panda movie. And this doesn't have to be 3D animated. What's... Interesting is you can animate this like you did the beginning and end credits of the first Kung Fu Panda film, that stylized 2D style, like when Poe is telling his stories, or they can animate it like a classic Japanese painting and have action scenes that are blown out. That would be really cool, showing off those characters 
in a, in a new way, seeing how their dynamic was before Poe was even there, which just works so much better as a TV series than having a movie starring the, the Furious Five. Number four, Madagafrica is a show about what happens in between Madagascar Escape to Africa and Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. I was never really satisfied with the with the animals in the beginning of Madagascar 3 just being in Africa, showing none of the characters that we, we knew from the second movie, and they're just like, all right, let's leave. And it's in the goofiest way, and I guess we're okay with it, but I feel like from the ending of 2, before that moment where... They, they find themselves in the beginning of three. There's so many more stories you can tell about Africa, the world around them, the other characters they could interact with, the other adventures they may have. And I kind of like the name Madagafrica. Number three, Do Lock a Good Deal is a show with the side characters of Shrek, all of the fairy tale creatures like the Three Little Pigs, Gingy, Pinocchio, they all open up a pawn shop in Duloc during the the events between Shrek 2 and 3. Everybody's just hanging out there. So they open up a pawn shop, and it's literally, you can tell whatever you want of whatever fairy tale creatures are coming in with whatever artifacts. Boom, here's another story that happens. Duloc a good deal. Boom. Number two. Over the Hedges, a sequel series to Over the Hedge, where we continue the adventures of these animal characters. They're obviously still living, by the end of that movie, they're still living in their community and still ransacking the human world, so there's got to be more stories to tell, and I feel like that works as a TV show, so Over the Hedges is number two. And my number one idea is Shrek Fairy Tales. And they may have done this before, and I know they've expanded on Puss in Boots, but why not expand on some of those other fairy tale creatures? Why not have an anthology show where every episode tells you the Shrekavized version of each and every one of these fairy tale creatures that they've had in all of the movies and, and whatnot? You can show what those stories are or even from the perspective of those characters, how messed up things look, and, and then how those humans that, that torture them write the stories about them and change the endings. I think that's a genius idea, and, and Shrek obviously is the big, the big you know property out of all DreamWorks properties, so if you're going to make any DreamWorks TV shows, I feel like that, that number one one has to be of the Shrek franchise. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of This Week in Nickelodeon History, an extra long episode going over some of the earliest moments of Nickelodeon and some of the worst moments of my week and certainly one of the worst Black Fridays in terms of uh, uh, of trash, just a trashy Black Friday for Captain Eric. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow Captain Eric on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast and on Instagram, at SpongeBobPodcast. If you would like to support Captain Eric, there are two ways you can do so. One doesn't cost you a dime, and that is subscribing to the Captain Eric YouTube channel. It'll always be either below you if you're watching this on YouTube, or if you're listening to this on your podcast provider of choice, 
you can look down in the description of this podcast and find yourself a link straight to the YouTube channel. Join me there. There's certainly more than podcasts that get uploaded um, and more content always coming soon. But if you would like to go the extra mile and fully support Captain Eric, click on that Redbubble link in the podcast description where you can purchase yourself a wide variety of products that feature a bunch of logos associated with some of the shows I produce and just the general Captain Eric logo. Just take a look. Even if you don't purchase anything, take a look at Redbubble's site in general because the amount of products you can get some of these uh, designs on, it's, it's incredible. So check out that Redbubble link. Anything that comes in through my projects, go directly back into my projects, and it's always appreciated. Guys, I love you very much. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Let's head on right into the rest of the holiday season. I'm here with you along the way. Uh, don't forget, if you would also like to reach out to Captain Eric, NickelodeonHistory at gmail.com. Questions, comments, or if you have any top fives that you would like to hear of, let me know, NickelodeonHistory at gmail.com. Until next time, please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of This Week in Nickelodeon History. Focus your mind as well as your body. Thanks, guys. But, uh, it looks like I'm going to need all the help I can get. Man, that dude is pumped. Who is he? I don't know. Probably some new kid in school. He is really cute. To the fall of Zordon and the destruction of the Power Rangers. You know what to do. Your wish is my command, Empress. I probably shouldn't record this right after watching that tribute video that the Power Rangers put out in regards to the passing of Jason David Frank, but if you haven't seen that, it encompasses in a minute more so what Jason meant to the Power Rangers franchise for this part of the world than anything I could say. So I, I would say if you do anything with your time, certainly watch that video. It encompasses so much of what this, this actor was able to do. Just to let you know, back when I was a, a young kid, of course Power Rangers was, was right on my radar. It was impossible not to have kids in, into Power Rangers at school. And after checking it out myself, I, you know, found it was impossible not to fall in love with this world. With the, the suits, these were superheroes, but they had robots and they would fight big monsters, or there would be little monsters first, the putties, and then there'd be big monsters. Rita Repulsa, Lord Zed, Goldar. I love these characters. I love Zordon and Alpha 5. All of the characters that encompassed this world, and I fell in love with it. What I also fell in love with was the idea that, you know, if you looked at the, the colors used for the first Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, red, pink, yellow, blue, and black, and you go, okay, what's the first color that comes to mind that they're missing? You would naturally probably say green. At least... I think most people would say, yeah, green is the first color that comes to mind that's missing. Well, the Green Ranger eventually shows up as a new student named Tommy Oliver, played by Jason David Frank, and is revealed to be a villain 
working under the control of Rita Repulsa. And this idea just blew my mind. Wait a minute, there is a Green Ranger? It's a villain? It's another student at the school? Which, by the way, for those that don't know, half of the footage, or a decent chunk of it, most of the fight scenes with the characters in suits fighting, you know, all of the different putties and all the the different, like, multiple versions of bad guys, and then the, the Zord battles, all of those are recycled footage that Saban gets from another show in Japan called Super Sentai, which has a long history in its own right, and what is amusing to me is at least in America, and I think in, in other big parts of the world, the, the first Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is the most iconic in the Power Rangers franchise, but I think in the Super Sentai world, that season of those characters is like season 16. It's been going on for that long. Their 16th season of suits and zords of dinosaurs are the most iconic in another part of the world. It's just interesting. So they would take that footage of all the fight scenes and they would just have to create new characters new storylines to fit the footage and created a high school environment with these students attending a high school at Angel Grove that were gifted the power of these, you know, Power Rangers to protect the Earth from this evil witch that that just was unearthed not too long ago, Rita Repulsa. That's the basic idea you need to know. And as far as the Green Ranger is concerned... I loved the idea of him as a villain. And throughout the show, so on and so forth, eventually Tommy breaks free from Rita Repulsa and ends up just becoming an ally of the Power Rangers. And that was, you know, fine and dandy. But at some point in season two, the entire dynamic of the Power Rangers changed. My favorite Ranger, Jason, the leader of the Power Rangers, along with two other Rangers, the Yellow Ranger Trini and the Black Ranger Zack, were all selected to represent Angel Grove in a peace summit or a peace conference in Switzerland. And they were forced to give up their powers to three other teenagers that Zordon, who just kind of the, the head of the Power Rangers... Pun intended, actually. Um, and chooses three new teenagers to replace these characters that we've gotten to know since the very first episode. And Jason is replaced with Rocky. Trini is replaced with Aisha. And Zack is replaced with Adam. Now, you can look up on your own why the three actors were replaced in their respective roles. But along with this entire roster change of the Power Rangers, Tommy Oliver was given the opportunity to adopt the new White Ranger persona and on top of this, become the new leader of the Power Rangers since Jason, 
the Red Ranger was no longer going to be around, there was no reason that Rocky was going to start calling the shots. So then here was Tommy Oliver given the reins of the Power Rangers. As a kid, when this moment happened, I was genuinely pissed off. I saw Tommy better as a villain. I enjoyed him as uh, an ally that could be called on in serious matters, but for the most part, for some reason, I enjoyed him at arm's length. Now, if he had joined the team proper as just the Green Ranger and it was behind Jason, I probably could have warmed up to him in a different way. But as a kid, in this episode, for things to have shuffled around so quickly, and for Tommy to be given the opportunity to lead the Rangers, when I saw Billy standing there in the proverbial second-in-command as I saw it, I always saw the Blue Ranger as the second-in-command to the Red Ranger, along with the Pink Ranger right up there. And in one moment, I just had no real interest in watching the Power Rangers anymore. I, I honestly actively stopped watching the Power Rangers when Tommy was leading the charge through the third season. I was still a fan enough to see the movie in theaters, which I, you know, genuinely still like, even though my, my favorite character was nowhere to be seen. But regardless, I enjoy the Power Rangers movie and, and have fond memories of seeing it with my family and whatnot. But I honestly had no interest for Tommy Oliver leading the Power Rangers. And what was more frustrating growing up was as time went on without realizing, Jason stayed on with the show as Tommy Oliver in many, many iterations. And it wasn't until years later, when I was doing some general research on the Power Rangers franchise, that... I came across just how much he stayed with the the team. Right after Mighty Morphin Power Rangers ended in 1996, there was Power Rangers Zeo, where Tommy Oliver was the Red V Ranger, the Red 5 Ranger, for 50 episodes of that show. The Red Turbo Ranger, in 19 episodes of the show, along with the Power Rangers Turbo Movie, appeared as the Zeo Ranger in Wild Force, was the Black Dino Ranger in 38 episodes of Dino Thunder, appeared in Super Megaforce, which I believe was on Nickelodeon, alongside his last appearance on Super Ninja Steel, as pretty much all of his past iterations, the Green Ranger, the White Ranger, the Zeo Ranger, the Black Dino Ranger... What a massive, what a massive amount of time and energy and effort spent on a character that, you know, it would have been fine if he left after Mighty Morphin. It would have been fine if he left after the second show. I'm sure after 50 episodes of Power Rangers Zeo, after 124 episodes of Mighty Morphin, it would have been okay for him to pass in the towel. But he never said no. And maybe he did. Maybe there were a few Power Rangers projects that he, he said no to for various reasons, but he kept coming back. And what was even cooler is by the time that I was 
looking into Power Rangers a little bit more, they decided to take the Tommy Oliver character and push it to its limits. In the comic books, they decided to explore the multiverse of the Power Rangers, which, you know, every single franchise is now dealing with the multiverse. It's now the new thing, and we'll get over it eventually. But the Power Rangers started looking into the multiverse, and what we find is that the greatest villain to ever exist as a threat to the Power Rangers, as far as I know, is a character known as Lord Dracon, who happens to be the most evil version of Tommy Oliver. I am absolutely in love with this idea. And in a roundabout way, it, it made me fall in love with Tommy Oliver yet again. But here's the thing. For years, as a fan growing up, when anyone would bring up their favorite Power Rangers character, 99% of the time, most people would bring up Tommy Oliver as their favorite Power Ranger. And when I would say that I actually dislike Tommy, and as a kid I hated it and and hated that he became the leader and, and brought up the, not necessarily trauma, but just brought up the idea that it even made me stop watching the show, people, you know, go through the understanding as a kid in that moment, but everybody was always so flabbergasted as, what, you dislike Tommy? You How could you dislike the Green Ranger? I would explain myself, and everyone would have a, a firm understanding, but let me make one thing clear. Tommy Oliver may have not been my favorite Power Ranger. The Green Ranger, the White Ranger, may have not been my favorite Power Ranger, nor any of his other iterations, but Jason David Frank, as an actor, working on the Power Rangers franchise, there is no denying his level of effort, the performance he brought, and that the word iconic doesn't even feel like it's enough of a word to fully realize what this actor means to this entire franchise for this part of the world. I have always maintained my level of respect. I unfortunately never got to meet the man. And I would have had no problem telling him, hey, when I was a kid, I, I liked you at these certain points, but I hated that you took over the team and I hated that Jason was was gone after that. But I respect the amount of work and dedication you give to this character, to this franchise. And and it's it's that kind of respect and dedication that I have and that I would have if I was in his position. If I was ever so blessed to play a character like Tommy Oliver on a show like Power Rangers, I I can't tell you just the the level of appreciation I would have for those who even after 30 years can still show their their love for uh, what was what was put on television as as just a simple hey we can recycle this footage from one country and film half a show and you know, it had an effect on an entire generation, and still, here we are, all these years later, 
and Super Sentai, still big in Japan. Power Rangers, still big in America. A big reason for that, though, even regardless on what I have to say on my experiences with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, a lot of that is solely on the back of Jason David Frank. In regards to some of the news that has come out in regards to his passing, it really hurts me on a personal level to have a man who is so beloved and and was told on a regular basis and, and was active on social media, was active on the con scene, and I just wish in those few moments beforehand he he could have channeled some of that love that we we all have and that and that admiration and that appreciation that we would have continued to show him for years to come and even though he's gone even if he he would have passed on 30 years from now we will still have to admire and show appreciation and love for what Jason David Frank brought to the Power Rangers franchise and the legacy he left behind in in both television show form, theatrical movie form, video game form, and comic books is never going to be matched by any actor unless the franchise is actively pushing for somebody to do so. So I tip my hat to Jason. Uh, uh, Jason, even though Jason the character in in Power Rangers was my favorite, Jason the man is my favorite. My heart is out to you. Uh, my condolences uh, to the friends and family of Jason David Frank. Thank you for joining me on this episode. Thank you for spending your time with me. And for those of you out there who feel alone, please reach out to somebody. Let them know how you're feeling. Because trust me, there's always going to be someone out there that you can find that loves you, that can appreciate you, and you're not alone in the battle. As always, ladies and gentlemen, please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode. We'll see each other again soon. Your friend.